inspiration. Turn up the motivation. You're on the Ziggler Inspire Podcast. Zig Ziggler wants you to be your best. Welcome to Zig Ziggler's Inspire Podcast. This is your host, Blake Lindsay. On today's podcast, Zig tells one of his most requested stories, the one about the lady from Birmingham. I know you'll enjoy, so let's turn it up and listen to Zig together. I'm a foodie, and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous. And I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. When we moved to Dallas back in uh, 1968, I know as a child over in Mississippi, my mama used to tell me often, son, don't ever ask anybody where they're from. She said, if they're from Texas, they'll tell you. Uh, and if they're not, why would you embarrass them by asking? And uh, you know, that made a whole lot of sense to me. But right first week here, I heard about this lady, went down to see a lawyer about a divorce. And the uh, lawyer said, what's the problem? And she started kind of rambling. He said, no, uh, you need to be specific. And she said, like how? And he said, well, do you have any grounds? She said, oh, yes. As a matter of fact, we got about 40 acres out here on the north end of town. He said, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I said, do you have a grudge? She said, no, but we have a really neat little carport there right on this side of the house. He said, woman, we need to get a little more personal. She said, like how? And, uh, uh, he said, well, for instance, do you take any responsibility for the difficulty? And she said, well, like how? He said, well, do you ever wake up grouchy? She said, no, I just let him get up on his own uh, whenever he will. You know? <laughs> and he said to her, said, well, now, what uh, seems to be the basic problem? And she said, well, the guy just can't communicate. Now, I hope I can communicate this last message because I believe it's extraordinarily important. And our objective, I want to state right here, I believe the process I'm going to show you is the most by far process that I've learned in my 75 years of living that will change lives. And that's what we're about is changing lives. I know I'll forget several years ago in Atlanta, Georgia, a young man picked me up at the airport to take me to the seminar there. And he was really highly motivated, very exciting. He said, you know, he said, I'm so glad to pick you up and taught you. It must be wonderful working for a company like yours where your major objective is to help people be all they can be. Well, I said, young man, I hate to kind of throw a little water on your fire, but that's not our major objective. He said, oh, what is your major objective? I said, to make a profit. Well, he just looked so downtrodden. I mean, he just had an awful expression on his face. And I said, the reason that's my number one objective, our major objective to make a profit is very simple. If we don't make a profit, we'll go out of business. 
and we will be unable to help anybody, including our own associates, how to get the things out of life they really need. Now, let me ask you a question. Let me make a statement, I should say. Many, many years ago, Samuel Gompers said, a labor leader, said the number one objective of every organization ought to be to make a profit so they can stay in business. I'm going to be talking with you about thriving in any economy as it relates to both the employer side and the employee side because it's somewhat like the story of the little boy confronted by the three big bullies, any one of whom could have obliterated him. And it uh, looked like one of them was about to do it. Little boy, pretty bright little guy, he backed up about five paces, drew a line on the ground, and said to the biggest of the bullies, he said, now, you just step over that line. Big bully confidently stepped on that line, and the little guy smiled and said, now, we're both on the same side. The reality is employer and employee are both on the same side. Now, hopefully, we're going to be able to change some thinking along those lines and make some thoughts, give some thoughts that will uh, have a difference or make a difference in your life. But the question is, can we literally change? Several years ago, a lady from Birmingham, Alabama called Laurie Majors, whom I talked about earlier, and Laurie said, you know, that is the most negative lady I think I've ever heard in my life. She thinks she has a problem that is unsolvable, but I don't believe it's that complicated. It's not that difficult. I believe you can help there if you're willing to talk with her when you get there. And I said, well, Laurie, I'll get to the auditorium a little early, invite her to come backstage, and we'll talk. Well, when I was backstage about 10 minutes before I was to start speaking, I was on one side behind the curtain. She was on the other side. When she saw me and started walking toward me, she was almost crying. Oh, I'm so glad to see you. I got this terrible job. I just hate everything about it. Hate everybody down there. I mean, it's awful. Can you help me? She's the kind of person that could brighten up a whole room by leaving it. I mean, you have, uh, you've seen people like that. Well, one thing I have learned is I have learned, thanks to the people that I've been privileged to be mentored by, the psychologists, the ministers, and the uh, physicians and all, that everybody that comes to you with a problem does not want a solution. When they first told me that, I said, well, that's crazy. Why would they come to you with a problem if they didn't want a solution? And the answer is very simple. First thing they want to tell you about it, you about it, you about it, you about it, and you about it. And if you foul up the deal and solve the problem, then they can't tell you again, you again, you again, and you again. They want the attention that goes along with it. What I wanted to do immediately was get this lady's attention before I even went to work on the problem. And so I said to her, well, ma'am, I'm sorry to tell you, but I think your problem is about to get worse. She said, what do you mean? I said, I believe they're going to fire you. Now, I didn't say it unkindly, but I did say it firmly. She said, fire me? Why would they fire me? And her voice inflection clearly said, they're the bad guys, the other ones. I'm the good guy. Give me a raise. Fire them. What have you discovered about life? Isn't it that most people who are the problem are the last ones on earth to recognize the problem? Why would they fire me? I said, ma'am, I don't believe there's a company in Alabama big enough to support this much poison in one small spot. Have you ever noticed that people who don't like their home, don't like their business, don't like their city, don't like their church, don't like anything, these are the people, don't like their mate, these are the ones, all of a sudden, when they discover they're about to lose them, now what they didn't like before takes on a new value. Her expression changed completely. She said, well, what can I do? 
I said, do you really want to know? She said, yes, that's the reason I came to see you. I came for help, but you sure had not been any help so far. I said, well, ma'am, I've got an idea, and I'll absolutely guarantee it will work if you will do it. She said, I'll try anything within reason. I said, okay, when you get home tonight, what I want you to do, last thing, everything else is taken care of. It's behind you. I want you to get out a sheet of paper. At the top of it, put, I like my job because. And she said, that'll be easy. I don't like nothing about that job. Don't like nothing about them people down there. I said, well, just out of curiosity, do you work there for benevolent reasons or do they pay you? Why, she said, they pay me. I got to earn money. I said, but you don't like to be paid. Oh, she said, yes, I do too. Well, just a minute ago, you told me you didn't like nothing about the job. Well, I didn't know you was talking about that. Don't you think income is important? Well, of course I do. I said, tell you what you do. You got your notebook in your hand. Open it up. We'll start our list right now. Well, she just stood there. I said, no, open your book up right now. We'll start the list right now. She just stood there. I said, ma'am, let me tell you about my experience in life. I've discovered that people who will not take step number one never take step number two. Now, what that means is that both of us are wasting our time. And to be candid, I can do a little more work on what I'm going to be saying to the crowd. If you're unwilling to participate, see, she came with that impossible dream. She wanted that nice Mr. Ziegler she had heard so much about to solve her problem. Well, folks, I got news for her. I can't solve her problem or yours or anybody else's problem. If you came here hoping that uh, Brian or Chris or myself would solve your problem, you will leave here bitterly disappointed. Now, this I do promise. We will only present information that is valid, that is usable and applicable and will enable you to thrive in any economy. That's what we present. But you have got to use it. We'll give you the process, but you've got to use it. The lady angrily whipped her notebook out. We started the list. Came up with 22 things she liked about her job. Number one, they did pay her. Number two, they paid her above average. Number three, she had a great retirement program. Number four, the company bought three seminars a year for her to attend. Number five, she was in on profit share. Number six, she had a wonderful insurance program, life insurance, health insurance, hospitalization insurance, three weeks vacation with pay. She lived less than 10 minutes from home. She had her own private parking spot. She was in on company conferences making decisions. 22 things that she liked about her job. I said, now, ma'am, here's what I want you to do. I want you, when you get home tonight, the last thing you do before you go to bed, get in front of the mirror, take this list, change one word, I love my job because, and look yourself in the mirror and say, I love my job because they pay me for working there. I love my job because they pay me above average for working there. I love my job because I have a wonderful insurance program. I love my job, I love my job, I love my job before every one of them. I said, ma'am, when you say that, what you're really saying is I'm grateful for my job. And that gratitude expression is the healthiest of all human emotions. Dr. Smiley Blandon, psychiatrist, said 80% of all of the counseling that he does is because parents have not taught their children to say Thank you when somebody says or does something nice for them. You see, that is the foundation block of gratitude. You will never find a happy, ungrateful person. I said, ma'am, you do this every morning and every night for the next 30 days, and I will absolutely guarantee you that you will be amazed at the spectacular results you are going to get. 
Well, the lady left, and six weeks later, I was back in Birmingham, Alabama, doing a follow-up sales training seminar. Now, the lady was not in sales, but she had been listening to my tapes every day on the way to work and on the way back home, and had learned that everybody, whether you're in the military, civil service, banking, sales, motivation, doesn't make any difference. What you're in, everybody is in sales every day of their life. We're all selling so there she was in the sales seminar, seated on the front row, grinning so wide she could have eaten a banana sideways. I'm telling you, you're talking about an excited lady. She was excited. I said, well, how are you doing? She grinned even more broadly and said, Mr. Ziegler, I'm doing wonderfully well. You can't believe how much those people down there have changed. <laughs> now, folks, I've got some bad news and some good news. The bad news is you ain't going to change that ornery husband or that difficult wife. You're not going to change that rebellious teenager. You're not going to change those irresponsible employees. You're not going to change that boss of yours who is demanding and overbearing. What you can do is you can change you. And it's amazing what will happen. The rest of that story on that Birmingham lady, not only did she learn to love her job... When she did that, she took the list with her the next day, and instead of being a fault finder, as she had been for years, she became a good finder. She added to that list every single day. Results were dramatic, but that's not the end of the story. There's no such thing as a single good habit or a single bad habit. Every habit's got buddies. Bad habits got a lot of bad buddies. Good habits got a lot of good buddies. She realized, you see, she wasn't completely responsible for her problem. As a matter of fact, she had been raised by parents who were experts at fault finding, criticizing everything she did. Why can't you be like your brother? You're always late. You're sloppy. You never do anything right. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? I mean, they found fault like there was a reward for it in so many ways. Then guess what kind of a man she married? That's right. That's one of the reasons mothers cry at weddings. Because they fear their daughter, when their daughter gets married, going to marry the same kind of man her daddy is. Well, anyhow, uh, she was there that particular day. And what she did then, she started realizing that there were some good things about her parents. They had provided her food, shelter, and clothing. They, to the best of their ability, had taught her what they knew about life. And when she started realizing, yes, they'd given her an education, they'd given her a secure place, they'd protected her as a child, she started complimenting them on the good things that they were doing and built a relationship with her parents. Exactly the same thing with her husband. It's amazing. It is catching when you start finding good things here. You'll discover them in other places. This week, your mission is to find the good in the situations, circumstances, and people around you. See what it does for your attitude and the attitude of those around you. Until next week, this is Blake Lindsay encouraging you to live your life to the fullest. Ziggler. Ziggler. Inspiring true performance.